Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Find what it is that God has designed you to do and to be. And uh, that expression uh, of service and of love will be a great impact and it'll be an important part of why God puts you here on this earth, because uh, we're not just here to experience God's love for ourselves, but we're also here to share it with others. Uh, and so that's, that's the way we do it, man. We jump in and get connected and plugged in. Also, and it's not out there, but if you wanted to create or design uh, either a Love My City outreach, you've got something you're a part of in this city that's an impact, uh, or across the nation or world, uh, we love to assimilate and adopt works that impact the city, nation, and world. Uh, so we're, this is kind of how we function with Love My City. Uh, is a person in the community is like, I have a passion for this. And we go, great, we're going to back you. We'll provide resource and support to it. Let's go for it. And so if you've got something on your heart or something you carry uh, for the city already or for the nation or world, uh, connect with us. Steve, right over here. Can everybody wave at Steve? Hi, Steve. Steve is an amazing uh, leader and pastor in this church and really, really helps to head up our Love My City initiatives. You'll hear more from him coming up over the next few weeks or so because if you want to know anybody that's doing just about everything you can do in this city possible, it's Steve Beeson, uh, and it's an extraordinary way. So we like to try and not recreate the wheel for every work in this city because there's a lot of really incredible uh, ministries and nonprofits that we love to partner with, and that's a huge part of what we do is we put our weight behind those things uh, with our people and our energy and our resources. Uh, so today I'm going to actually be preaching uh, the Word, and I'm going to be talking about God's presence and truth. Uh, last week I started talking about presence, and so we're, we're doing a little bit of an informal presence uh, theme uh, this month, uh, and today I'm going to be talking about uh, God's presence and truth, or spirit and truth. And the opening scripture that I have for you guys here is John 4, 24. Uh, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so when we talk about worship, it should be clear that worship is not the musical part uh, of our Christian walk alone, although we call this praise and worship. Uh, but worship, when you truly understand it biblically, is how you live your life. Uh, it's your life that is a life of worship uh, unto God. And that's the, that's the most accurate understanding of worship is your life in uh, service to God, in expression to God, and poured out for God, designed by God, connection and intimacy with God, a loving relationship with God. And this is a life of worship rather than just an exercise of worship uh, in community together, which I really love. When it's talking about this, it's talking about a full life lived. And so our Christian full life expression uh, needs to take two things into consideration, and that would be the spiritual expression and the truthful expression. These things aren't disconnected. God doesn't fracture off parts of himself and say, hey, either do that one or that one. Uh, there is one God, one spirit, and so he invites each one of us to engage in the fullness of who he is. Uh, and just because we have a gift mix that allows us to do this better than that doesn't mean that we aren't called to holiness in this as well. So our character is not supposed to just be from our place of giftedness. It's supposed to be from 
God's holiness. He says, be holy as I am holy. Okay, I know I'm starting off quick because I have kind of a little bit of a lot to cover here uh, in God's presence and his truth. And they're deeply connected. And so I want to show a couple of examples of the outcome of God's presence. Last week, I talked a lot about this. I just want to dabble on it a little bit today. Because the outcome of God's presence isn't so singular or myopic as some might have painted it to be. Uh, that when God pours out his spirit on you, uh, you do these very specific things. Uh, yes, there are these places where you feel God uh, and things happen to you and that's great and all. But when we're talking about the outcome of God's presence, we're talking about something that's much more robust than just some service manifestation kind of talk uh, or goosebumps or such. We're talking about something that is thoroughly impactful to the full being. Uh, not just a moment of positive feeling and sensation, but a life transformation. So the outcome of the presence of God is not just a moment, but it is a life change. Uh, and this is the intimacy of presence. This is the intimacy of being present with God and him being present with you is that in that presence, you learn to walk like him, talk like him, act like him, feel like him, go where he goes, not go where he doesn't go. Uh, and we, that walk, that present connection is actually informative to your character and my character, uh, which also means it confronts character in us that is not like Jesus. So when we're spending time in the presence of God, we begin to realize that his presence is disruptive to the character in us that is not like him. So God is a really loving God, and in his love, he comforts, but he also carries a truth about his character to us, which can lead to some really interesting moments where the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. And these interesting moments are God, being present with God can lead us to a sin conviction moment. Has anybody spent time with God and felt a conviction on your sins? I know some of us hear conviction on our sins and we hear condemnation or guilt or some kind of religious weight and we're like, whoa, what are we talking about today? If I knew we were going to talk about sin, I wouldn't have shown up. <laughs> if I was going to be condemned, I could have stayed at home, you know. And so you... But when we're talking about the conviction of sin from the Holy Spirit, this isn't meant to condemn us into a guilty sentence to be imprisoned forever. The conviction of sin is meant to be a confrontation in your place of bondage so that you can receive freedom and liberty from that sin. So conviction is meant to be an invitation to freedom, not a condemnation to guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a couple outcomes that we got to cover in Scripture here. Like, what is the outcome of presence? Let's cover these real quick. Exodus 33:14, And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You can mark that down. There's real clear markers of what happens in the presence of God, and he will give you rest. This rest is obviously not just taking a nap. Uh, it's not just sleep, but this rest is a rest that comes in your spirit. Hebrews talks about it as they did not enter my rest because the hardness of their heart. Uh, so he references the rebellion in Israel, and he says they did not enter my rest, referring to the promised land, because of the hardness in their heart. 
So rest, when it's being subscribed here or prescribed here, it comes from an alignment of character, not just God making you feel good. And so we've got to move away from this idea that the Holy Spirit is just a part of God that makes us feel good. And we've got to understand the Holy Spirit is more than just a comfort, but the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so the Holy Spirit also in its name is holy. So the character of the Spirit of God is holy and it's in its name. So the spiritual expression of God, the Holy Spirit on earth, has character tied to its name. I think that's amazing. It's just, it's just in its name that it is holy. He is holy and we are to be holy as he is holy. So hosting the Holy Spirit is the act of hosting a spirit that is going to make you holy. Psalms 23.4, it speaks to another thing that happens from the presence of God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So even when you're in the midst of these places of death and uh, circumstantial troubling situations, God's presence can expel fear. So for you are with me, I will fear no evil. So if you want fear expelled, host God's presence and the very nature of God uh, will actually cast out fear. Where perfect love is, it casts out fear. So when God is present, fear cannot be. So God's presence gives us rest in alignment. God's presence expels fear and establishes us in love. Psalm 145, 18 begins to connect the dots for us of God's presence and truth. And this is where we're really going to get today. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Now, the nature of that word there, the root word on this is it, those who call on him in stability or in confidence. Like this is when those who call on him in a truthful manner would be probably a, a really great way to expand the translation there uh, to those who call on him in a truthful manner. So the difference would be those who call on him in a manner of just maybe perfunctory obligation. You know, if we're, if we're singing a worship song and, and we're calling upon the Lord, there could be one who calls upon the Lord just in jest and it's like, yeah, Lord, we need you. And then there's the person who's calling on the Lord, and there's a sincerity of heart. And there's a sincere expression of, Lord, I need you. And it's not my role to judge the sincerity of your heart, but God judges the heart. So he sees in this place of heart. And he can tell the difference between a person who's just saying what they're supposed to say in their religious expression of Christianity because all their Christian brothers and sisters are looking, you know. Uh, I've been in Bible studies before where you knew the person was answering the question based on what they knew the answer was supposed to be, not what they truly believed. And I've been in that place as well. So this is about us having a sincere, a truthful call upon God and this truthful call upon God is actually dynamically different in relationship with God. Like, you'll get to experience God differently when you are sincere than when you are insincere. 
So it's an interesting thing. When you begin to understand the different type of a relationship you can have with God, he is static and consistent, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the variable difference between a good relationship with God and a bad relationship with God is us. He's always loving. He's always pursuing us. He's always seeking us. He's always, right, he's always. This is who he is. He's always. It's an eternal expression. His character never changes, and it's perpetual. So when we don't have a good relationship with God, there's expressions that we've got to recognize about our dysfunction that are hurting our relationship with God. And this isn't hurting his ability to love us because there's nothing you can do that will change his ability to love you. Amen. Nothing. So this, when we're talking about having a good relationship with God, we're not talking about performing so that you can get his love. That's unconditional, that's perfect, and that is given in its fullness no matter what. This is talking about having a healthy relationship with God. An understanding of his presence, an understanding of how to interact with him in his presence, and that there is a truthfulness in his presence that is a healthy relationship expression. Now, I want to invite you to understand this as being very different from most human beings you and I would experience. Most human beings that we experience, when you are too truthful, you're in trouble. Even with your spouse, when they ask you what that dress looks like, you're invited to maybe bend the truth a little bit or omit some blunt truthfulness in your assessment of their attire. So even in, even in our marriages, you'll hear people, if you're not married, you might not understand this, maybe you'll understand it, you'll hear couples be like, yes, I'm trying to figure out how to tell them that thing. You know, whatever that thing may be, you're trying to understand, like, how does this really land? Will this land well or will this land improper? I want it to land well because I want to be happy tonight. <laughs> so your brain works to try and calculate how you should communicate so that there's a maintained connection and positivity. So here's the thing. Check it out. If we apply the same equation to relationship with God, all of a sudden, we're going to someone who knows everything already, and we are censoring ourselves in communication with him. Which is a wild thing to do, but it is in our habit because we carry our patterns of relationship that we have with people into relationship with God. Until we become intentional to go, you know what, let's get rid of all these patterns of relationship I have and let's begin to interact with God in an accurate way to who he is. And also when you begin to move away from your pattern relationships with people, when you begin to move away from that pattern, and you begin to move into a pattern of relationship with God that is reflective of his nature, you begin to go, well, is there a truth that I could tell you that would be too blunt that would hurt our relationship? You begin to understand that this is actually not the case at all. He already knows what is the truth of the matter. So saying the truth is not going to hurt your relationship because he already knows it. So he knows how desperate you are for him. He knows the despair of your wickedness. He knows the sins you do in the secret place. He knows the thoughts that you had about that and this and them. Uh, and he knows all of those things. 
He can write out the ledger for your list of sins, both done in your mind and done outside of your mind and your behavior for your whole life. So when you come to him and tell him, like, hey, this is what I'm thinking right now. What do I do about this? He's not like, whoa, are you serious? Now that I know that's how you think, I'm not so sure how to approach you anymore. I'm not so sure that you can come into my presence with that way of thinking. Okay, so now I got us to the place where we are understanding that God doesn't want us to censor the truthful nature of who we are before he transforms us. He already knows. He doesn't require it of you. Censorship does not lead to godliness. This is self-censorship to appear better than you are is a religious expression. Jesus confronts the Pharisees and Sadducees and tells them they are whitewashed tombs, which means they've made the outside of the thing look good while there is death inside. So if you begin to try and project yourself in an insincere way to God, this is a Pharisee and a Sadducee expression that doesn't do well in relationship with God. Like, he wasn't buddy-buddy and tight with the Pharisees and Sadducees because there was a misrepresentation of his nature or of what the relationship was supposed to be. So he wants us to enter into this thing with the truthfulness of who we are in expression to him. So you already are who you are. That much cannot be changed by you. It can be changed by God, cannot be changed by you. So you enter into this relationship with God and you may have levels of self-censorship you're doing to appear better than you are. And I want to encourage you in this. In your relationship with God, just stop all self-censorship. Stop all of it. Stop everything you do that hides a part of your nature in representation to God. Be truthful about who you are. Be truthful about what you need. And that truthfulness is impactful to your relationship with God. Let's study a little bit Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 to see what happens in God's presence and how we interact with this truthfulness of who we are in relationship to a holy God. In 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Okay, I want to pause this at this place. I'm going to read a little bit more. But I want to pause this here and I want us to draw attention to what gives us confidence to enter his presence. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Okay, is there anybody that would consider themselves a really confident person in this place? Sweet, I do. I used to play a game with my friend. I'd say something, and then after I'd say it, I'd go confident or cocky. 99% of the time, he said cocky. So, <laughs> but it's this confidence, right? So therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, by what means? Why are we confident? It's not based on our nature. It's not based on our history. It's not based on our precondition before we got God or we found God, but by the blood of Jesus. So why are we confident to enter into God's presence? It's because of the blood of Jesus. So 
You don't have to hide or be insincere about where you're at when you enter God's presence. Also, you don't need a precondition in order for you to enter God's presence. That the nature of the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, and in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so when we understand what Jesus' blood gives us access to, it's God's presence without proper pre-merit. We are not what we should be informed to enter God's presence except for the blood of Jesus giving us that access. Otherwise, an unholy creature entering a holy God's presence would mean certain death. So, you and I get to experience God's presence in our truthful state. Sometimes that's a broken state. Sometimes that's a sinful state. But nonetheless, we get to experience God in the full reality of who we are. This is a really interesting concept and idea. Because then it begins to beg the question, do you stay there? Can you continue to experience God's presence while also continuing in your falsehoods and continuing in your sin patterns? So because you have access to God's presence and you can have this confidence to enter into his presence doesn't mean you can have the confidence to continue sin patterns or continue in your stubbornness or in your sin. So the confidence to enter God's presence should not translate to the confidence to maintain sinful patterns. And then you'll see this as it begins to say, by the new and living way, by the new and living way, there's a way with Jesus that is unique and it's different from your way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Love comes without condition, but intimacy comes with obedience. Intimacy is so, so, so important to have with God, and it is very challenging to get intimacy with God without having behavior changes along the way. So you don't need to experience God, or excuse me, you don't need to change in order for you to experience God. But in order for you to have a healthy and intimate relationship with God, you will need to change in the way that he is changing you. I want to make sure you follow that part there. You've got to partner with God. He is authoring. He is changing. He is transforming you. And if you are properly partnering with him, you're responding to his action. That obedience and that yieldedness and that submission to God has your form changing as you spend time with him. So if you and I say we love God, but we don't do his commandments, Jesus confronts us. He's like, look, if you don't do my commandments, if you don't love people, then you don't really love me. So Jesus points to this inconsistency, right? He's like, look, you can't just say you love me and you're spending time with me and not begin to act like me. It's just not true. So when you say you love God, when you say you're spending time in God's presence and you're not changing, the, the lie is not that God... So what isn't true about that situation? Is it that God can't change you or isn't trying to change you? No. He's capable of changing you. He's got a plan for your life and transformation. 
So that's not the lie. The lie is are you actually even in intimate relationship with Jesus? I find this to be a little bit of a, uh, a disturbing idea that if I'm not behaving like him and I'm not loving others like him, then there is an, that it reveals a disconnect between him and I. And it reveals that there's, I probably don't even love Jesus. And I'll tell you what, guys, that's my deepest heart desire to love Jesus. So when I see a sin pattern or a, uh, a fleshly pattern begin to want to pick up in my life, and I begin to engage in that pattern, what is scary to me is not the sin and its consequence. What's scary to me is what it reveals about where I'm at in relationship with Jesus. That's what causes me to go, whoa, what is happening right now that I desire this? What's happening in my relationship with God that's allowed me to behave like this, to treat people like this. And so what it causes me to do is it causes me to go back to God and to call upon him with this sincerity of heart. Sincerely and steadfastly in a very real way, Jesus, I need you. I need you because I see my sins are many. I see my passions are not necessarily your passions. I see I'm drawn away by things. And so, God, what is happening in my relationship with you that's allowing me to be in lust with these things here? So when you see patterns of lust picking up in your life or dominating your expression, look to the relationship with Jesus. Look to the lack of love. Look to the lack of connection. You want to overcome lust in the flesh? Then grow in your loving intimacy with Jesus. So in him, we have redemption. In him, we have redemption. In Jesus, we are redeemed from that nature. So it's not uh, for him that we are redeemed so that we can have relationship in him. This is not our earning transaction to get in Jesus. It's in him that we are redeemed. So if you are really stinking at behaving like Jesus, then grow your loving relationship with Jesus. And understand that maybe, just maybe, one of the issues in your relationship with Jesus is you aren't truthful. Amen. You aren't truthful. Tim's done a great job. I've talked to him a bunch of times. He's taught it a bunch of times. And and, and what he says is in, in Heart Freedom Leads, this great ministry does amazing things. And what he says is this great thing. He says, look, your mind knows what it should feel and believe. So sometimes your mind as a Christian, a mature one, can censor what your heart actually feels. And, he, and then he goes on to express it. It's important to confess, to share what's in that place so that you can reconcile it to what you know you're supposed to be. But if you don't allow yourself that permission to recognize what's in your heart, uh, then you're not going to be able to experience truthfully God's presence in healing that heart. Because your mind's like, I'm not there. You know, it's that person that hasn't forgiven but knows they have to forgive. So they say, I've forgiven, I just hate them. 
Have you ever experienced a person that says what they know they are supposed to be, but you can see in their emotions and their expression of it that they're not actually there? Like, yeah, I totally have forgiven them. It's just that I really intensely hate them. But I already said it out loud. You know, I said, I forgive them. I'm just praying that they'd be judged, you know, and they might, they might experience a lot of consequence for their life, you know, but I've totally forgiven them. My heart's clean. But when I see them, I have a panic attack. When I see him, I want to jump and just beat him up. You know, so like, if this is the person that knows they're supposed to forgive because they know the scripture that's like, Jesus won't forgive you if you don't forgive. So they're like, surely we can't have that. So I'm going to lie to myself because I know I'm supposed to forgive. So I'm going to lie to myself and say, I have forgiven, even though my heart is holding on to bitterness. There's a 50 other examples I could give of this, right? Knowing what you're supposed to be but not actually being there. This is the great weight of standard that crushes us because we're like, oh, I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to have no vices. Be holy as I am holy. God clearly said that, and I'm in trouble because I'm clearly not holy. So we struggle with this when we know the standard of God. We struggle to ascertain it, and so we're like, well, I guess I'm just going to start being dishonest about what's in my heart because I don't know what to do about that. But this is where I want to encourage you. Come to him truthfully. Come to him with that true confession of your heart. Come to him with that true representation of who you are right there in that moment. He's not intimidated by your current state. I can guarantee you that. He knows what to do. And in fact, he's really patient. You know, when he tells Peter... 70 times 7 in terms of forgiveness, he's outlining this grace partnership that God has towards us that he is unrelenting in his forgiveness of our sins. So many times we create these religious rules, these punishment-oriented things, and we say things like, well, if I've sinned too many times in the same way on repeat, and I've come back to God and I've said, God, if you do this, I'll never do that again. And then we do it again. And God, if you do this, I'll never do that again. And then we do it again. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like the promises to God, I'll never do it again. And then you're back there like six minutes later. We've all experienced this, right? In one moment, your will is so strong. And you're like, I'm never going to do this sin again. I feel really bad right now. And then a week later, you're right back there. Sometimes we believe that God gets fatigued on this thing. And he stops forgiving us. Because we're applying our same relationship that we have with human beings to God. But it's just not accurate of who God is. So we're like, you know what? I get tired of forgiving people after 10 times. So surely, surely God does as well. So now what I need to do is the same thing I do when I have messed up seven times in relationship with someone, which is I run. I run. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. And I keep doing it, so I'll just never talk to him again. Or the other person does the same thing, right? They're, you're like, man, they just, they're gone. They just, they did these things, and then they're just gone. I can't find them. Uh, well, well, they don't know what to do about the fact that they keep on screwing up, and they can't stop themselves. So in relationship with God, we shouldn't have this imagination from human being relationships applied to God. We've done the same thing in our relationship with broken father relationships, where we've applied to God this image of God that comes from broken leadership or broken father relationships. 
So if you grew up without a father, be careful and be aware that you might be applying fatherless relationship models to God. You might be applying absent father dynamics to God who's always present. And think about how dysfunctional that relationship with the present God is. If you treat God as though he's absent when he's present, that's just dysfunctional. What was the most dominant leadership models and effects in your life? Was it your mother? Was it your father? Was it your grandfather? Was it your grandmother? Was it your coach? Was it your teacher? Look at how they related to you and, ten, and then look at how you relate to God and you might see that you have applied the same exact model to your relationship with God. You might be like, hey, the best coach in my life, he was hard on me, man. He wasn't hugging me. He was yelling at me and I had to get it done. And so I'll hear these people describe these things, and I'll hear them describe their relationship with God, and they apply the same communication pattern to God. They're like, God knows how I like to hear it, you know. He punches me in the face because that's what I need, you know. And then I get my act in order, you know, and that's what God does, you know. He yells at me, you know. That's just how I hear it. Well, what that person's done is they've just applied the surly coach to God. And the surly coach is just not actually accurate to the nature of God. Even if he or she has had a positive effect on your life, it just ain't God. So redeem your relationship with God from these broken models of leadership. Take it back. Go, look, this is how I relate to God. God, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know how to relate to you. You say you're a father. I didn't like my father or my father wasn't around or I have a broken relationship with him, whatever it may be. So you might be like, I don't even know what that means, God. Do I look to another father? Do I go and try and get a spiritual father and then that person will teach me? And we get into this pattern where we begin to long for uh, an understanding of who God is through human beings. But it's going to fall short every single time, guys. And this is why the spirit and truth is so dynamically important. He said, look, there will be people who worship me in spirit, in presence, in connection, and in truth. They will lack neither one of those things in their life. So this is available to you, and it's available to me. That when the Holy Spirit is in our life, he will teach us all things. He'll bring to remembrance the things that we need to have in remembrance. And the word begins to illustrate and begins to paint a picture of what our heavenly father's like. And you want to get to that perfect image of heavenly father. I can guarantee you this, that it's through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. So the first thing here is if you haven't committed your life to Jesus, this is the absolute starting point. It by no means fixes the rest of your life. And it is an absolute inaccurate representation of salvation to make it a 30-second prayer that you repeat after me. It's a, very, it's a very inaccurate representation of salvation. Salvation is something you walk out daily. Yes, it starts with a prayer of commitment to God, but it's realized in your daily walk. So we walk out our salvation. We carry this thing that's a gift of God in relationship with God. It's not from our own works, but it's in relationship with God. It's by his grace. 
So the first thing, first thing, is in this room today, if you have not begun that relationship with God called salvation, called redemption, called forgiveness of sins, if you have not begun that today, today I want to invite you to begin. So we're going to pray in a moment. We're going to accept Jesus in our life. It's a beautiful thing. I'll tell you this, is I really love Jesus. And here's what I love about Jesus. is no matter how I've performed in my Christianity, how well I've done or how poor I've done, that Jesus remains consistently present and consistently gracious to impact me even when I haven't earned it. So this is the beauty of Jesus in our life. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit in our life. Is that we get to experience God, not by our merit, but through the blood of Jesus, we enter into his presence with confidence. And from his presence, there are outcomes. There are tremendous impacts on our life, on our character, on our being, on our mindset. I want to pray with you guys to finish this moment. So if you could close your eyes and bow your heads. <coughs> I encourage you to connect with the family that serves this community so well and this city so well at the different tables. And also, I believe, Elisa, do we have the prayer room open today as well? So we have the prayer room open every single week. It's upstairs. If you just go up there, somebody will help you find the, the prayer room and get to that spot because we love to partner in prayer. So if you receive Jesus today, I would love for you to visit that team up there, and they can talk to you, they can teach you, they can partner with you, they can exchange information with you, because this walk with Jesus is more than just a prayer, right? It's a lifestyle change. The way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through that life, through that truth, and through that way. So first thing I want to do is if you want to commit your life to Jesus, what it means is that you're committing your life to his way, to his truth, and to his life. It's a life for a life. This is the beautiful exchange. Beauty for ashes. My ashes for his beauty. So very simply today, if you want a life in Jesus today and you want to commit your life to Jesus, I want you to lay your hand on your heart. Or maybe lift your hand. Something, right? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you the rest of my ways. Everywhere I'm going, everywhere I planned to go, I give you all of my future. I give you all of my present. I give you all of my past. Every way I've had, every way I have, every way I will have. I give it all to you. And Jesus, I give you everything that I thought was true. I surrender all of my truths, all of my opinions, all of my mindsets and paradigms. I surrender them all to you, Jesus. You are my way. You are my truth. You are my life. And if that's something that you prayed today with your hand on your heart, I just want you to say amen. 
I agree with that. I give you my life, Jesus. See, I prayed that prayer as a model of what relationship with Jesus looks like. In this moment, that agreement and that partnership, it sparks a relationship with Jesus for the rest of your life. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. And I love praying it every time I pray it with people because it's a, it's a re-surrender with me, for me each time. It's a reminder, yeah, wow, that is what I'm doing. It's a remembrance of my salvation walk. It's a remembrance of my commitment. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my soul. I long for you, God. I long for you, Jesus. And I pray that you bless this house, that you bless this family, God. I pray that we would learn to host your presence, God. I pray that we would learn to be great partners and great relationship with you, Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. And that we would be willing to take on the courage to be truthful in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus, will be true. Please transform us. Jesus, will be true. Please redeem us. Wash us clean by your blood. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.